Now we're going to be talking about how we hurt our own feelings in just a few minutes. But before we do, I'd like to ask how many of you have actually done a study of the Course in Miracles? A daily study. There's three parts to it. There's the text. That's, you can put your hands down, I saw. And there's the text. And then there's the workbook, which is 365 lessons, which is obvious for one for each day, and the manual for teachers. And it's a very large book. And so most of you, and how many of you have not, you've heard of the course, you've heard it quoted, but you've never really done a, a deep study of it. Are, are there any hands for that? Okay, there's a few of you. So... Um, I'd like to talk a little bit about how it came to be. For many of us, that's going to be a review because you've already know how it came to be. It is a channeled work, and I don't let that bother me. It supposedly comes from Jesus or the universal Christ. At points in the book, it says, as I said before, and it's in our Bible, he will give a quote. So it sounds like it actually comes from the person of Jesus. But I think all inspired works come from somewhere, from our higher self. So it probably, if you really look at it, all works that are meaningful are channeled. But this comes from two people, Helen Schuckman and Bill Thetford. And both of them were professors at Columbia University at the College for Physicians and Surgeons. And they, the two of them were in the behavioral sciences, psychology and that sort of thing. They didn't get along at all. <laughs> Helen felt that Bill took her thoughts and her writings and presented them in a bigger place as his own. He thought she was sensitive and overprotective and departmental. They didn't get along. And this goes on for quite a long time, and they really didn't care for each other. But they worked in the same department. Finally, one day, Bill Thetford, give him credit, came to Helen and said, there has got to be a better way. We're in behavioral sciences, for goodness sake. There has to be a better way. And she said, I'm really glad you brought this up because it's been bothering me so much. I can't get it off my mind. I go leave here at night. I'm thinking about it. It's on my mind constantly, this constant turmoil. And she said, I've I'm even beginning to doubt my own sanity because I keep hearing a voice telling me something. And Bill said, well, what does it say? And she says, this is a course in miracles. Write it down. And he looked at her and he said, well, for God's sake, write it down. Just like a man, isn't it? But she says, I've been trying, and she tries for a while. And because it's coming to her in automatic writing, her words are not even, it's, they run into each other. It was hard to decipher. And it was in a language, in a prose, that was not familiar to 1960 United States Americans. 
it came more like 18th or 19th century English literature or something. It was in English, but it was difficult to understand. So Bill decides that he would help her in deciphering it. As it came to her, he would try to separate the words and make it make sense. It still didn't go very well. They still got on each other's natural nerves. And finally, one day, they were listening to some of the words that were coming from this thing that she was getting. And says, you know, we need to be willing to see this differently and to work together. So they agreed to that little bit of willingness. And it's not to go unnoticed that in The Course in Miracles, that willingness is talked about umpteen jillion times throughout the book. It just takes our willingness to change our minds a little bit. So it's even possible. Back? Is that better? Okay, sorry. I've not done this before. <laughs> so, um, so is it possible that something good can come from mistakes? Absolutely. Mistakes are our learning tools. And it's possible that this entire book, The Course in Miracles, came because Helen Shuckman and Bill Thetford got their feelings hurt. So there's a quote in the, in the book, The Course in Miracles, that said, what, your what you think your brother did to you did not happen. The first time I heard that, I went, uh-huh, yes, it did. <laughs> but it says what you think your brother did didn't happen. Something probably did happen that caused your feelings to be in an uproar. But it's not what you thought it did. It's something else. We gave it the interpretation. We have no idea what their, their position was, what, they, what was happening in their life right then, or what past things made them act the way they do. So that was the first thing that was difficult to take. I had to change my mind about that. If somebody said to you that nothing that happens to you doesn't really happen to you and that all things are neutral and that you don't have to be upset about anything, would you believe it? <laughs> no, we don't. And that's because we interpret things differently. Each of us do. It's the same thing as when you see a, an accident and he, you will report it this way, I will report it this way, and, and still a third person might see it differently. So when we get our feelings hurt, we need first to look at ourselves and what brought that hurt to us. Now, I'm going to tell you of the first time that I first realized that um, I had hurt my own feelings. It was several years ago, I think five or six years ago. And is that still okay? Okay. <laughs> and uh, I was, uh, my son, my youngest son, 
we're celebrating going to be going to be 50. Yes, I'm that old. <laughs> but he was going to be 50 and he was having a big party and he lives down in Florida. And I heard about it from a friend. I knew nothing about this party. Immediately I thought he didn't want me to come. For sure he didn't want me to come or he would have said something. This goes on for about five days. I'm calling, this was during Rev K's time, I'm calling her and she's consoling me. And I, it, for about five days, I mean, I had tears. I talked to Bill, I said, they don't want us to come. They're ashamed of us in some way. I don't know why, but they're just, they don't want me to come. And that's just so upsetting, my own son. And I, how, how can this be? And then one day, my older son came, and I, he said, are you going to the party at Kyle's? And I said, well, I wasn't invited. And he said, invited? He put out an evite on Facebook. Well, those of you that know me, I'm not real technical. I didn't know what an evite was. It turns out that he didn't put out invitations. It was just for anybody that wanted to come help him celebrate 50 years. I had spent five days hurting my own feelings. And I said that to Rev K, and he says, now you've got it, she said. Now you've got it. I'm sure she was listening to me those five days and just putting up with, she's going to get it one of these days, poor little thing. There's another time that that was when I really hurt my own feelings. But there's another time that I didn't respond in love to a situation. Ever been there? Responding in love takes some thinking, consideration, contemplation, all those things. This was, Bill wasn't feeling well. And we needed to go get a COVID test. And we were having trouble finding some place that we could just drive through and get a quick test for both of us. And somebody says, well, you might try the Modera Clinic. They do them. Not Moderna, Modera Clinic. I didn't even know where it was, but it was in Little Elm. So I thought that'd be great. So I called them. And um, they began to ask me a lot of questions, send pictures of my Medicare card, my supplemental card, both sides of it, send pictures of it. And for a non-techie, that's, even that's difficult. And so um, I'd gone through over out a couple, nearly a couple of hours and had spoken to two young men who sounded like teenagers. And I thought they're so incompetent because they asked, uh, which is the um, primary uh, insurance policy? Well, everybody knows Medicare is always the primary one, the other one isn't. And so I'm making all kinds of judgments on them. But I tried to handle it with, with ease and was okay. And the day I made the appointment. So uh, I asked them, I said, do you have a drive-through? And they said, um, we have curbside. Now to me, that meant, in my mind, my interpretation, they're going to come out to the curb and do the test, right? So we get there, and it says, when you pull up, call this number. So I call the number, thinking they're going to come out and do the test. 
And they said, now you must come. It's and then they said, we will call you when it's time to come in. And I said, come in? For what? And says, to get your COVID test. I said, I thought it was curbside. No, just curbside check-in. Now, he's in a wheelchair, as y'all all know. And so that means me getting out, getting the chair, and the ramp to get up the curb is like a block down here. So I'm getting frustrated. And we get in, I, but I get him out, get him in there, and then we go in, and we have to wait to both of us to be seen by a doctor. I have a doctor. I just need a COVID test. They come and check us out and actually make a prescription for Bill that he didn't need. We have a doctor in a prescription. But we went through it. 15 minutes later, COVID negative. Great. We get in the car and repeat the process of the wheelchair and getting back in. And I am really frustrated by this time because I had appointments that I needed to attend to. But I forgot about it. We got the test. It was over, right? But then in about three weeks, I get a bill for $340. And I'm going, what? None of my friends had to pay for a COVID test. So I said, well, I'm not going to pay it. That's ridiculous. I'm not, not paying it. And then I get the call from them saying, you're late. You need to pay this bill. And I says, you have both my insurance cards there. File it on the insurance card. And then I lost it. And I said, and besides that, it took me two hours to cut. And I, and I let them have it. I really did. I was in doubt was a call for love on my part. How could I have seen it differently? I could have thought these young men, whether they're teenagers or not, they sounded very young and they sounded not really up on information, but they were there working and trying to make a break into the adult world maybe. And I could have seen that as love and helped them and been loving and not criticize them. There were all kinds of ways that I could have shown love, even if they were wrong. I could have shown love. The, the Course in Miracles tells us to resist, yes, could to resist the temptation to feel like we've been unfairly treated. Doesn't that happen every day? Did you feel like the person in the line could goes on and is talking, yappity yappity yap about nothing that has to do with the transaction and you're waiting in line or the person in the drive through line that doesn't pull all the way up so the people behind them can post their order <laughs> or that person that I, I can tell I can tell that you know what I'm talking about <laughs> so or the person that on the drive that cuts you off in the, on the freeway Instead of the finger or a message like that, a blessing. God bless you. I hope you get there safely. Yes, and, and remember that our own behavior, our bad behavior, is our cry for love. And how do we go to, for, to correct that? There's only one source, one spirit, one God. 
and he will do all the comforting and all the explaining if we just take that time to do so. Now, the difference, I want to talk a little bit. I read something about it in the reading. But the difference in a fact and interpretation. Now, we have gravity that holds us to the earth, that it, earth spins on its axis and creates this, and, it, and we don't doubt that. We don't argue about a fact. The sun is out there. The earth rotates around. It gives us day and night and day and night. That's a fact. We don't need to argue with that. But if somebody does something and we start saying, well, they did this because I know why they did this, then we're pointing a finger and it's our egoic interpretation. And it's, we're to stop and let God make this decision rather than ourselves. Now, the Course in Miracles says that it's always really easy. And every class that I've facilitated, everybody starts laughing. It isn't easy. It takes thought and it takes practice and vigilance and commitment and all those things that we have trouble with. But it is simple, the difference. It is simple. Just come to God. Can't be any simpler than that. It's just our egos that keep us wanting to interpret things as we go. I remember watching a TV, Oprah on TV one day, and he, she had Deepak Chopra on. And she asked him this question. She said, how, how in the world do you stay so calm all the time? I've never seen your feathers get ruffled. I've never seen that happen. How, does, how do you manage that? And he simply replied, I don't react. That has stuck with me for, for many, many years. I don't react. He went on to say that it doesn't mean that I didn't respond or do what was mine to do in that situation. It's hard to see, to look at something like Uvalde with 19 children and two teachers murdered. It's hard to look at that, but we can look at the shooter. He needed to do something for attention. It was a huge, huge cry for love. Somehow, this young man had not been given the attention and the love that he needed. So here are a few things. When we get our buttons pushed, get our feathers ruffled, and get our goat gets gotten. In fact, do you know how that came about? How get your goat came about? Well, it's a racing term. They used to put a goat in with the horse to keep the horse calm before a race. And people would come steal the goat so that that horse couldn't be comforted and do well in the race. Just, I just thought maybe you'd want to know that. <laughs> so. But here are some things. Here are some things that we can do. There's like five things here. When you get your feelings flustered and you feel like you've been unfairly treated, here are a few things that you can do. The first thing is stop and breathe. 
count to five. Ten is better if you have time, but sometimes you don't have that much time. And ask Spirit for help. Now, several of you, I've talked to you before, it's been a long time, about developing your own breath prayer. And some of the class that I'm facilitating have done that, and it's been very interesting. A breath prayer is ten words or less that you practice saying over and over and over until it's so in your brain that when you're in trouble, you can count on it right like this. My breath prayer is, God, give me the willingness to love. That's mine. God, give me the willingness to love. So it needs to be just a few words, but say it over and over so that when that thing happens, then you can say that very quickly, and that will connect you with God, and then you can let him help you make the decision. Remember that our interpretation of what just happened is probably more 99% wrong because we don't know what the other person was going through. It's as simple as that. Remember the Course says, it's our thoughts alone that cause us pain. And we're very creative in these interpretations. <laughs> and remember at all times that all bad behavior, it's not saying that people don't act badly. It's just saying that all bad behavior is always a call for love. And if I am not at peace after all this has happened, then I must have chosen wrongly. Because if I've let God, let go and let God, we will be at peace. And then number five is experience the joy of extending love instead of the negative egoic reactions that we have. Ah, but if we fail to do any of these things, just remember to forgive yourself and learn from it. Our mistakes are a learning tool. Thank you.